Is there a better song for Be Challenged sermon than Eye of the Tiger? I think not. Uh, well, good morning. Hey, we want to give you guys a few of the announcements. Uh, we had, we had our, our computer guy uh, call in sick this morning, and so then uh, we rely so heavily on so many different people that we uh, often will drop balls as well. Um, so small groups, this is the week two of our small group signups, and you guys can still sign up. There's uh, an incredible amount of them, and then uh, they are a great way to get better connected to Prodigal Church and grow in our relationship with God and with others. So we want to encourage you guys to sign up. You can look at the brochures, um, or you can sign up online. Also, baptisms are going to be on St. Patrick's Day. We're going to have green water. No, we're not. Uh, we're not. That got vetoed by our staff. Um, and so, uh, but baptisms is March 17th. St. Patrick's Day. A baptism is this. It is the death certificate to the old life and the birth certificate to the new life in Jesus. And so we want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, to think about that, proclaiming Christ for life. Uh, next week is Sunday Fun Day, which is uh, this uh, amazing uh, event for all of our elementary school kids. And so uh, be sure to be here next week. If your kids are in here, they're going to want to be in there next week as well. Also, next week, we place a high priority on the safety and uh, physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of all of our ministry, especially our kids. And so we have all of our volunteers get fingerprinted, and they do background checks and all that stuff. And so next week, uh, starting at 9 a.m., uh, we've invited all of our, our people who's serving and uh, volunteering to get fingerprinted. We'll m- make it easy for you, and it's going to be in the kids' room right over here. And so if you volunteer with us and you haven't been fingerprinted, uh, we want to encourage you guys to do that because we place such a high priority on um, our kids' safety. Next week, we start a brand new sermon series called The 150, and it'll take us right to Palm Sunday. And The 150 is a reference to the book of Psalms, which is the, the 150 chapters in our Bible. And we're going to be exploring themes of creation, uh, themes of praise, lament, the imprecatory prayers that we pray against our enemies, Psalm 51 specifically, and then also Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. So we're going to be journeying through that, uh, and, and so I can't wait. That starts next Sunday. And finally, uh, we took about 23, 24 people to Magic Mountain yesterday with our student ministries, and they had a great time on all the roller coasters. Nobody got sick, so... Uh, Always a good, good thing. Great job, student ministries. So we are a culture fixated on challenges. Uh, If you watch the internet at all and scroll through social media, you'll find weird challenges like the In My Feelings Challenge, uh, the Tide Pod Challenge, the the new recent Bird Box Challenge. Uh, These are ridiculous, yet millions and millions of people do them and then post the videos online. Throughout this B-series, we've talked about being patient, being generous. Last week, Pastor Brad talked to us about being together. And then this morning is Be Challenged. Megan had such incredible uh, encouragements for us in that regard. And here's where we're headed this morning. Here's where I want us to be challenged. Becoming a lifelong learner is essential in following Jesus. This is the main thrust, the main challenge this morning. Uh, many of you probably think that learning and studying is just like a really natural thing for me because it's a part of my preparation every week. So if I'm going to be talking to people each week about the Bible, I should probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, 
But in 2003, I was 22 years old, and I had just finished my bachelor's degree in contemporary Christian ministry. And uh, I was a youth pastor at a church not too far from here. And I, I finished college. I was done. I'd been going to school since I was five. And so finally got my bachelor's degree, and I'm like, I'm done. Hard pass on everything else. Uh, it's over. And I, as I began thinking and praying after receiving my bachelor's, I started to think about grad school. Now, as a pastor, grad school in the Bible is often referred to as seminary, okay? Uh, a master's degree in Bible or ministry, something like that. And so I remember talking to one of the pastors that I was working with who is just finishing up his seminary degree. And I, I was just kind of bouncing off ideas. Like, yeah, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling through it. And he said, you need to, whatever you pursue your master's degree in, let it be something that you're passionate about learning about. Like, don't just do it to get the piece of paper at the end. And he goes, because that's what I did, and I hate my life. And I go, okay, fair enough. So I majored in Old Testament, because I thought it would be cool to read the Bible in its original Hebrew language. And so this was not a popular major at my seminary. And actually, for my Hebrew 3 class, there were a total of three students. Three students and the prof. I was one of the students. I remember one Sunday, or one, one day in class, uh, two of the other guys were sick. So I'm 24 years old, and I take a seat, and it's just me and the prof. I hadn't raised my hand to go to the bathroom since I was in sixth grade, and yet I found myself raising my hand when I had to go to the bathroom because if I left, he's just talking to himself. So he takes the bathroom break with me. We end up at the sink together washing our hands, and I'm kind of looking at him awkwardly. I'm like, shalom, you know, and we go back to class. I got good grades in college, but if I'm honest, there's a big difference between learning a lot and knowing how to get good grades. And I knew how to get good grades. Uh, I knew how to get, take tests and do them well. Cram, study all night, ace the test, forgot it by lunch. Uh, and it wasn't until after seminary when I began to read and study, not because I had to, not out of obligation, but because I wanted to. And I began to reread my textbooks that I was supposed to read in seminary. And I began growing and changing and learning. And I haven't stopped since. Learning usually passes through three states. In the beginning, you learn the right answers. In the second state, you learn the right questions. And in the third state and final stage, you learn which questions are worth asking. We have to move away from the complacency that creeps up in our lives. And this is the complacency that says, you're done with school. You don't need to learn anything else. You know enough. You don't have any time anyway. The Spirit of the living God declares to you now, you're never too old to learn and you're never too young. Learning moves us from complacency to vibrancy. And I'm going to get really real here for a second, say something fairly bold. I really believe that perhaps the biggest problem within American Christianity is the lie that Sunday morning is enough. That, that coming to hear a sermon once a week is, is not enough. It's a good start, but it very quickly stops being learning and starts being complacency. Uh, because if we only learn from the church on Sundays, 
and that is our only form of learning or studying, our brains then become impervious to new knowledge, new insights, new realities all around us. The church or the pastor has done all the thinking for us. I don't need to read the book. I'll just watch the movie. I've seen so many Christians in so many churches become so narrow-minded, not because of their own convictions from reading the Bible or from following Jesus, but from allowing the church to do all that for them. Proverbs 18 says this, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out. Knowledge is not something that we should be afraid of. Knowledge is something we need to pursue. You should read. You should study. Uh, It's okay to read and study things that are also not just the Bible. We'll talk about more of that later. But for many of you in this room, you've got some questions. You're not even sure about this whole Bible, Jesus, Christianity thing. And um, your application would be, okay, read, study, ask questions, double check what I'm saying. Uh, Sarah and I uh, have a few shows that we watch always on TV, and we've been riveted this last year with the Leah Remini Scientology show. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, And I'm not going to dive in a ton to it, but the thing that shook me the most is that within that realm, within that uh, church, within that organization, you can't ask questions. Uh, You can't ask leaders questions. You can't ask questions about the texts. Uh, You zip it, and you just follow the leader. Uh, And that is the opposite of what Jesus wants for us as a community of faith. Questions are good. Check this out. The Apostle Paul is discussing um, with a a new group of Christian believers, um, and they're formerly Jewish, and he's in Berea. And this is what the author says in Acts 17.11. This is just unbelievable. I've read this before, and I just think it's so powerful. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Interesting. Luke, the author, could have said that the Berean Jews were of more noble character because they received the message with great eagerness and trusted everything the apostle said because he is the anointed of the Lord. It's not what it says. It says that they were positive skeptics. They had a posture of questions and they're eager to find the answers. They said, thank you, preacher man Paul, greatest missionary the world's ever known, author of 13 New Testament books. Thank you. Don't mind if I go double check. Yes, and this is applauded in the New Testament as a beautiful way to learn and to grow. Questions are okay. Questions are encouraged. We should never have blind faith that, and never be able to question the paid holy man on the stage. No, Bible's open, engaged, double-check. We don't want you to just believe, blindly believe something, but to know the reasons why you might believe it. Our goal is not to teach us what to think, but how to think, and to think more Jesusly. Uh, it's okay to run the ramp of reason before you take the leap of faith. Now, knowledge, wisdom, doesn't only come from the Bible, but they do come from studying the Bible. Look at 1 John 4.1. It says this, You must test the spirits to see if they are from God. Now, the Greek word here for test is the Greek word uh, dokimatso. Dokimatsu. And it means um, it's an inspection of Roman coins. 
this is a picture of a counterfeit Roman coin. And it's just coated in silver. It's not made of pure silver. So they had counterfeit money even 2,000 years ago in the ancient world. And so what someone would do is they would test it to see if it's, uh, if it's strong, to see if it's fully silver. They had certain ways that they could test it. Uh, so when the Bible says to test the spirits, it's saying dokimatsu, check and see if it's counterfeit. Have you ever seen someone pay with a $100 bill? What's the cashier do? Holds it up to the light to see if it's real. And so this applies to, the, to doctrine, but it doesn't only apply to doctrine. When I call my credit card company to make a payment or to secure information, they put me to a test, right? What are the last four digits of your social? What's your zip code? What's your mother's maiden name? What is your uncle's favorite dog's name? <laughs> right? They, they got a test to weed out anybody who's inappropriate. Uh, people who have the wrong spirit. There's a Chinese boy wanted to learn about jade. And he went to study with a talented, wise old teacher. And this gentleman put a jade stone in his hand. He said, hold it tight. So he did. Then he began to talk about philosophy, men, women, the sun, almost everything under it. After an hour, he took back the stone and sent the boy home. And the procedure was repeated for weeks. The boy became frustrated. And when he, he goes, when, when, when am I going to be told about jade? When am I going to be able to, to know and understand jade? But he was too polite to interrupt this awesome, amazing expert teacher. Then one day, when the old man put a stone in his hands, Instantly, the boy cried out, that's not jade. It's dokimatsu. Knowing Jesus and studying the Bible helps us know the difference between what is real and what is fake. What is true and what is false. What is lasting and what is fading. Dokimatsu. God's word has much more to offer us than just a Sunday morning inspirational message from somebody else. The Bible tells us that Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to spend time with his father, but also that he withdrew with the 12 disciples. He retreated from the crowds and was around just a, a few. And back in the early 2000s, I was a youth pastor. Uh, there was this craze in, within Christianity, particularly in youth groups, it was the WWJD craze. Anybody remember this? Okay, these are, these are WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Okay, that's, that's, it's an acronym. Okay, if you're not familiar. WWJD, what would Jesus do? With the goal of, uh, you know, if you were tempted to sin or mess up or make a bad choice, you'd look down at your wrist, you'd see it, and you'd ask the question, what would Jesus do? With the goal of doing whatever Jesus would do in that moment. In a sense, as long as it, I look down at the bracelet, I will choose the right thing. It's great, except it doesn't work. <laughs> um, sure, it helps at times. But following Jesus isn't a fashion statement. Following Jesus is not about avoiding sin and temptation. Following Jesus is your whole life. How can you do what Jesus would do when you don't practice what Jesus practiced? Uh, I don't know if you guys know, Mondo is uh, uh, the guy with, with the mean goatee. And he plays lead guitar here at Prodigal. Uh, he's incredible. He, dude shreds. Dude shreds. And I, I can't play guitar, okay? I, I, I'm not a musician. 
you know, I played the baritone when I was in uh, sixth grade, but that was the last time I, I played an instrument. But, you know, I'm confident that because I have this WWMD bracelet, <laughs> what would Mondo do? I, I'm confident that the chords are just going to come to my mind, you know? In May, it's working. <sighs> I'm confident that, that the chords will come to my mind and that I'll be able to grow a, just a mean goatee just like Mondo. I'm sure that the calluses that Mondo has formed on his fingers over the years would just magically form because I've got a WWMD bracelet on. <sighs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> What has taken Mondo years and hours and calluses and hard work and practices, it's silly to think that just because I see Mondo on Sunday mornings that I'll be able to shred just like Mondo. I would have to, if I want to shred like Mondo, I got to practice like Mondo. Hours upon hours, years upon years. If you want to do what Jesus did, you practice what Jesus practiced. Now, you don't get legalistic about this because Bible shaming is a real thing. In the church I grew up in, there's this, uh, this culture of accountability. And at best, it was accountability. At worst, it was shaming. And it would go like this. People would ask you, how's your quiet time? Ever been a part of a community like this? And often they would change their voice a little bit. How's your quiet time, brother? Um... <laughs> Because if something, bad you know, if something bad happens in your life, they might say, have you been getting in the word lately? And it was as if because I'm not spending enough time praying, reading my Bible, that bad stuff is going to happen to me. That's not how it works, just to let you guys know. You can read the Bible every single day, every single morning for hours and hours and hours, and bad stuff's still going to happen to you, okay? It's called life. But sometimes you've been in church long enough, uh, and you might actually be just waking up to the fact that you know, you, you don't really know the Bible that well. Uh, you got used to hearing a lot of sermons, a lot of scripture rattling around in your head, so you can, you can hold your own in a conversation about Christianity. Um, you know a lot of Bible cliches. And I understand that if that's you, there might be a tad bit of shame attached to that. And I just want to say, I just want to release you from all that shame. It's okay. You can say I'm one of those people. I've been in the church a long time, but I haven't really read and studied the Bible too much. I'm coasting on Sunday school lessons and weekly sermons. Can we just agree to abolish the shame of not knowing something from the Bible in our community? Just let's abolish that altogether. It's okay. Let's push the reset button in 2019, and let's all take a deep breath and move forward with a new hunger and thirst for God and his word. Whether we know a lot or whether we know a little. When we read and study the Bible with our, with our hearts intent on following Jesus better, we do become more wise. We do become more Christ-like. It's hard to be Christ-like when you don't know what Christ was like. It's fair. Do we spend time with him? Do we study his words? Because, but information by itself, just knowledge of the Bible, that's dead, right? How many people know so many Christians or religious people who 
know the Bible in and out, but they're kind of a jerk. They're doing something wrong. If you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible and you become more judgmental, more mean, I don't think you're really reading the Bible. Information by itself is just dead. But sometimes we swing the other way. We say, well, I don't need to study. I don't need to learn. I have an intimate relationship with God. Books, Bible study, that's theologian stuff. I just need me and Jesus. Except every good relationship is a combination of intimacy and information. Every good, lifelong, love-loving, life-giving relationship is a combination of both information and uh, intimacy. It's true because if you go on a first date, you're hanging out over dinner one night, and if you just grill them with questions, I just want to know stuff about you, and you study them, you know, that's a bad first date, okay? You're probably not going to get, you know, a second date. She says, hey, uh, do you want to go do something? No, 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 I'm just going to learn. You pull out a notepad, and you start grilling her. But you know what? If you, if you go the opposite way, right? If you replace that with the other extreme, just watch how the pendulum swings. It's not going to lead you to a healthy relationship. You sit down together and she says, hey, tell me about yourself. And he says, you know what? Information's overrated. You want to make out. I just really want to be, I just want to be intimate with you. She, she might say, well, I'd love for you to get to know me first. Can I tell you about my shh, 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 too much talking. You see, that's also not going to get you a second date, Right? True intimacy cares about all aspects of the other person, including their history and their opinions. And our intimacy with the Almighty God isn't only study, but it does include study. If he's king of our lives, our schedules, our priorities should reflect that kingship. Yes, we want to love God with all of our hearts, souls, strength, but also with our minds. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why small groups are so important. And I just, I just want to encourage you, like, uh, it's, it's the next step, and I think it's a great next step. Um, six weeks long, and you're gathering with people, studying God's word, uh, asking questions. Questions are encouraged, not discouraged. And if you're like, man, my schedule is just crazy. There's an 11 a.m. small group that starts the first week of March, led by Terry Brinsinger, Dr. Terry Brinsinger, who authored this book, a commentary on the book of Judges. It's incredible. He's brilliant. And he is going to be at our church for six weeks teaching this class. And it's at 11 a.m. So you could go to this service and then go and walk through the book of Judges, this amazing Old Testament book, and become an ancient Israelite with the wealth of knowledge that Dr. Terry has. The Bible, I'm convinced that when we read it, when we study it, and not just by ourselves, because the Bible wasn't meant to be interpreted individually. It's supposed to be read and interpreted in a community, not in isolation. I'm convinced it makes us more Christ-like. Now, it's difficult. It's inconvenient. And there are a lot of new things in our world that take our time, focus, and attention. Like this, okay? I might be addicted to this. Uh, There are lots of things that take our attention. New shows, new apps, new hobbies, new technology. Here's a video I saw while watching another technology. Um, So check this out real quick. 
this rotary phone challenge that has gone viral. It's hilarious video shows a father in the southwest suburbs giving his teenage son and his nephew what seems to be a pretty simple challenge, right? Make a phone call from a rotary phone in less than four minutes. What does zero sound like? Rotary phone takes two 17-year-olds almost four minutes to dial one phone number. Sometimes we need something old to teach us something new. And this, over the years, has proved to be so true about the Bible. It's a really old book. It's still an all-time bestseller. There's something to it. The mere act of listening to wise statements or sound advice does little for anyone. It, the process of learning, dynamic cooperation is required. So you being here is good. To actually learn, we play a part in it. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this, tell me, I'll forget. Show me, I may remember, but involve me and I'll understand. John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard Church Movement. And he was getting sick and tired of hearing Christians leave one church and go to another church because they weren't getting fed. And at this place, they do get fed. Uh, he heard it numerous times. I'm tired of not getting fed around here. I want more meat. And then he says, people leave churches because they're not getting fed and others arrive because they weren't fed at whatever church they were at. Then he said this. One person kept complaining to him about this. And he said, listen, just fed up. He said, listen, the meat is, on, is in the streets. If you want to get fed, go and let a homeless drunk throw up on you. That's where the, the real life change is. That's where the meat is. It's not in here on a Sunday morning. It's out in the world, in the broken world, loving people in Jesus' name. He went on to say that studying the Bible was never meant to be the meal. Rather, it's the menu. He half-jokingly said, we sit around eating the menu and wonder why we're not satisfied. It's not about reading this. It's about doing this. It's a dynamic following of Jesus. Jesus says the same thing. In John 34, 34, he says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This was a perfect time for Jesus to say, My food is God's word. It's my nourishment. But he says, My food is to do the will of God. 
in John's gospel, uh, the word believe is used um, 83 times. But there seems to be a progression in John's gospel to then John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, from believing to knowing. And we'll look at these two Greek words. The Greek word for believe is pistuyo, and it means to think to be true, to be persuaded. Then the Greek word to know is gnosko, and it means to perceive, to feel, to learn to know. There is a difference between believing and knowing. Believing is here. Knowing is here. The journey of belief to knowledge isn't just in the writing style of John the Apostle. It should also be our journey as well. I want to invite knowing the band to come up. And I'll close with this. Uh, When I was in college, I went wakeboarding for the first time. Wakeboarding just started getting big. So it wasn't just water skiing or tubing or kneeboarding. Wakeboarding was the thing. I got friends in the boat. And they say, oh, you got to put the board in and lay sideways with the nose of the board just a tad out of water. And then when the boat starts moving, lean back and let it pull you up. So what happens, right? <laughs> I got my feet in. I lean back. And boat pulls me up. And then pff, crash. Crash and burn. And, and then the, the They lift up the flag, they pull back around, and they're like, you just got to feel it. And I was like, I'm going to make you feel something when I get back in the boat, okay? (laughs) You just got to feel it. So I try again, and they they throw me the rope, and I put my feet in, I put the nose, you know, just outside the water, I lean back, let the boat pull me up, smack, I do it again. They're like, you just got to stand up. Uh, Now, prior to my experience of smacking my face against the water, I believed that if I leaned back, the boat would pull me up. I believed it. But now I'm questioning those beliefs. I'm also questioning the integrity of the people who told me about those beliefs. <laughs> so I tried again, smack. And I tried again, and it's like, oh, smack. But then that next time, I got the board flat, the nose just out of the water, I lean back, the boat pulls me up, And now I'm a wakeboarder. I've been a Christian since 1995. I believed God loved me. But over time, something has changed. I no longer believe God loves me. I know it. I know it. It's not just here. It's here now. Believing is necessary. It's the precursor to knowing. To know, you must first believe and learn to trust. And some of you have been believing that the boat will pull you up, but you've been falling on your face and you're frustrated you can't stand. Our job as a church then is to be the ones in the boat saying, you got this. You can do it. You just got to feel it. It's okay. We'll come back around. That's what small groups and relationships in the church are supposed to do. People saying, you got this. You can do it. It's okay. Uh, My challenge for us is to take the next step. Sunday morning's not enough. 
whether you're listening to podcasts, whether you're listening to worship music, whether you're spending time each morning, each evening, and you read a chapter a day, you, you dive into a small group, you extend your Sunday morning for six weeks, and you hear Dr. Terry talk about the book of Judges. These are all dynamic ways for us to grow and learn and ask questions. I want to encourage you to do that during this season leading up to Easter. Let's pray. God, we thank you that questions are good, that you're big enough to handle them, and that you're not scared or afraid of our questions. Thank you, God, that you want honesty and vulnerability. That you're not des- you don't desire sacrifice. But a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Thank you, God, that you're your word needed. is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It, it, it's not a cue beam. It's not fog lamps to show us every step ahead of us. It's a lamp unto our feet. It shows us the next step. As we hold your hand and depend and follow you, help us to learn to trust you, Jesus. Light our path. God, we want you to, we want you to show us the entire road and where it heads. And God, just even now, Spirit of God, you, you're, you're telling us, you're teaching us that you'll show us the next step. So help us to take that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close in this song together?